Welcome to Project BGR, craft beer and conversation. And did we mention craft beer? The beer guys Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams talk to the makers and creators from the craft beer world and beyond. Now, time for Project BGR with your hosts, Tim and Aaron. Welcome to Project BGR. I'm Tim Dennis. And I'm Aaron Williams. And if you don't know, we host a radio show based out of Atlanta called Beer Guys Radio, where we cover the craft beer scene in the Southeast. But we love to talk beer with people from around the country. And I know that you're excited about this episode, Tim. Absolutely, Aaron. I'm a home brewer, and you know that I love sour beers. And this week, we're talking to someone that I've leaned to a lot for brewing my sour yep. beers, Michael Tonsmeyer. Awesome. Now, Michael is known as the Mad Fermentationist, and he's also the author of American Sour Beers, which is kind of the Bible for sour beer brewers here. So I know you're ready to geek out, Tim. You ready? Absolutely. All right, let's listen. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We're going to speak now to Michael Tonsmeyer. Michael is also known as the Mad Fermentationist. Uh, uh, uh. He is an award-winning home brewer. He is a certified beer judge and all-around sour beer nerd. Uh, He blogs at the Mad Fermentationist. He writes for Brew Your Own Magazine, the advanced brewing column. He's consulted and collaborated with uh, dozens of America's best craft breweries, including Modern Times Beer Company and uh, Commonwealth Brewing Company. Now, you've written me a question, Tim, from Michael, and I don't think I wanted to say it. See, I so, wrote it, I wrote it down there to see if I could stump you. Exactly, exactly. So I did, listen, so. he just Tim, Tim's being crazy, so don't don't bother with him. So he so, always <laughs> reads what's on the teleprompter. That's right, Michael. <laughs> how you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? Excellent. We're doing a little bit too too good for our own. So our Michael, own good, we've okay. uh, so we have we have recorded our other show and we've had a, a few beers this evening and uh, we're actually going to open one to enjoy here while we chat with you. We just have. Uh, Michael, our laws are kind of crazy here in in Georgia, and uh, we have a brew pub that's just recently got the right to do uh, to go uh, to do some bottles to go, and they provided us with a bottle of their Calvados Barrel Age Triple that oh. they're releasing. So we're going to open that up, and uh, to to get the questions rolling here, I'm just going to start out with something simple. What's kind of your craft beer story? What what brought you into the fold here? Um, so I, I, I normally have sort of a standard pitch I give, but I, I just want to take a step back for a second. Um, I was listening to you guys while you were recording the, the previous episode. I, I heard the pitch for the Dauphin Street, Mobile, Alabama. Yes. The fast, yeah. So uh, amazing coincidence, uh, I actually had two great-great-grandfathers who owned liquor distributors on Dauphin Street in Mobile, Alabama. Right. Awesome. Interesting. Uh, my my father was doing some genealogy research, uh, and anytime he came up with something beer or alcohol related, sent to me, and so I have an ad in my hands for Tonsmeyer and Craft staple in fancy groceries, wine, liquors, <laughs> etc. Cool. Um, and a, a great grandfather on on his uh, his mother's side also uh, uh, had a place on the street, so it's really it was funny to, to hear about that. Yeah. Um, but my, my story is I, I really, I was not much of a beer drinker in college. Um, a good friend of mine uh, from, like, third grade, who's actually getting married in a, a couple of weeks, we're going to hang out in Rhode Island, um, started, you know, got hooked on sort of the beer advocate rate beer thing. Um, and the summer after, uh, you know, it was between our junior and senior years, he was going back to Minnesota to McAllister. I was going back to Pittsburgh to Carnegie Mellon. He, we took a little, you know, a couple of drives around to local beer stores and tried to find, you know, any, any of the beers that were in the top 20 or the top 30 or whatever it was. And um, I, I really wasn't into it at that point, but it was sort of interesting. It, it seemed like sort of a, a fun thing. And 
when I got back to school, I, I got maybe a mixed case of dogfish head and um, I had a couple of things that I, I kind of liked. And um, from there, I, I started sort of hunting down the, you know, the, the best colch I could find or the best uh, creek or whatever it was to try those. I took a class called Beer Brewing Appreciation my senior year where we brewed, uh, a friend and I brewed a brown ale and a, a really poorly designed um, vanilla cream ale. That's the way and it starts, so that, though, right? What, oh, exactly. It's, but that's, that was sort of the start of it. I mean, I, I think I was one of those people who, you know, started brewing and, and can't imagine stopping for any reason. Right. Um, and so from there, I, I moved down to D.C. eventually and didn't really have an outlet for beer, so I started the blog, and the blog turned into a book, and the book turned into consulting, and um, you know, I, I'm still going down that path, and it's it's been a, a heck of a ride so far. You're you're out of control. We're talking to all kinds of people who are out of control here today. So, yeah. So this, Michael, do you prefer to be called Mike or Michael? I, I either one. There's so many Mikes and Michaels in the world that you just sort of you know you just go for it, huh? Okay. Mike, so you're Michael or all righty, whatever, whatever works for you. So I tell you what. One question I have. You kind of covered. You know, one of the questions I had of what got you into home brewing as well, but. Uh, you know, we mentioned you blog at the Mad Fermentationist. Uh, you know, you're an author. Uh, you also share a lot of info uh, online on forums and stuff. I know I've seen you very active. As a matter of fact, that's how I connected with you initially. Was on the Reddit uh, Reddit site. You're very active on the Reddit homebrewing, and it uh, it seems like you know from everything you put out there that uh, you kind of got some teaching in your blood there. You know, sharing and teaching that. Would you say that's the case? Certainly a little of it. Um, I, I taught, taught a class for um, a, a company called Living Social. That is, they were sort of—I don't know if they're still even in business. Um, they're sort of like a uh, what's what's the other one? Sort of the Daily Deal site. But in Washington D.C., they had a physical location where they did painting and wine classes and cooking classes. And so I did like an intro to homebrewing class um, twice twice a night, once a week for I think ten weeks one time, and then maybe twelve weeks another time. So that. It, it's certainly something I, I love sharing. I love getting other people into beer. Um, it, it's great to sort of introduce new people to what I think is probably the best hobby there is. Um, I'm getting ready now in uh, November in Burlington, Vermont, and then in February in Santa Rosa. Uh, Brew Yard Magazine is putting on a series they're calling Homebrew Boot Camps, where uh, I saw, yeah. a, a whole bunch of terrific people, uh, Gordon Strong, who's written a few books, um, Chris White, Sean Lawson, there's a, a great variety of, of beer nerds are doing day-long seminars for uh, homebrewers. And so I'm, I'm, of course, talking sours one day and uh, wooden barrel aging the other day. I'm going to be knocking apart barrels and doing blending sessions. So that's, that's the sort of stuff that I love doing. I, I love having that outlet for me to talk about beer because if my coworkers and my wife and my parents were the only people I could talk beer with, they would, they would stop talking. <laughs> yeah, they get really tired of it really fast. Like, stop talking about yeah. beer. That takes me sometimes five or ten minutes at dinner, and it's done. But <laughs> fortunately, I surround myself with beer geeks, so it uh, it works out a lot of the times there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, now, Michael, you've worked with uh, Modern Times and some other breweries. How did you get connected uh, with Modern Times out there in California? Oh, uh, the Modern Times one was fun. I, I, they actually just sent their sort of first small shipment of beer to D.C. the other night. Um what, what happened there was uh, Jacob McKean, who, who started the company, um, probably maybe it was a year, a year and a half before he, he left his job at Stone Brewing, where he was the social media guru, 
um, he sent me an email. He said, hey, you know, I, I work for Stone Brewing, big fan of your blog. I'd love to try some of your beers. you want to do some sort of swap? And I wrote back, and I kind of said, hey, you know, like I, I've swapped some homebrew before and gotten some not-so-great bottles, and, I, you know, I, it's, a, it's a hassle, it's an expense, and it's a risk to ship He beer-snobbed beer him out, man. He, he just, did. He's like, I don't want your stinking homebrew, man. So. And, that, and, that, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. I, I, I do homebrew, but I, I wouldn't even think. Just let me know what you want. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. having anything from the San Diego area, so I, I said, hey, Get, get me some ale, ale Smith and some Alpine and some Lost Abbey and um, you know whatever it was. And he put together a box and sent it to me. And I, I sent him back uh, eight or ten bottles of homebrew. Uh, and I I felt a little bad. I thought I had scammed this 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 guy. <laughs> I mean, who 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 trades a Frambois de Amorosa and a, and a Alpine Nelson and uh, maybe it was a decadence from Ale Smith and a couple other things for. Beer that some dude brewed in his basement. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, but apparently, sort of joke was on me. Um, a, a year later, he sent me an email and said, "Hey, uh, I, I'd love to talk to you. Um, I'm leaving Stone. I'm going to open my own brewery." And so I talked to him, and, and his sort of sales pitch was: come out to San Diego. You know, be be one of the um, the assistant brewers. Uh, we're going to, you know, gonna, he hired a, a terrific head brewer, uh, Matt Walsh, who used to be at. Uh, Lost Coast and Speakeasy, you know, a couple of breweries sort of not known for necessarily super unique beers, but for for very consistently well produced beers. Um, and I said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I just I can't move cross country from my my nice cushy government job and my yeah. my wife yeah. and my friends for a minimum wage job or a, a little more than minimum wage, but not much more. As tempting as it uh, sounds, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we sort of just went back and forth. I would brew some test batches based on our conversations. I'd send them to him. He'd taste them. He'd share them with people. He'd, you know, use them for investor meetings or for, um, you know, Kickstarter parties and those sorts of things. And um, eventually, uh, about um, maybe three weeks after they started brewing, I went out there for two months, right, you know, sort of during their launch week and got to, have, have that sort of uh, home brewer fantasy of, of, you know, being at a brewery right as they're opening and seeing people drink the beers and, and seeing uh, beers you, you you know, sort of helped to conceive and, and, you know, drank, you know, on tap at your house, served at uh, the Toronado and a whole bunch of other great beer bars and see them, you know, yeah. getting reviewed on, on various rating websites and getting to, you know, go to fun events and um, help out on the brewing system and, sort books for their their barn that's made out of books and paint walls and brew test patches and all those those sort of fun things and and then I came back to DC went back to my real life. I got to say it's almost like uh, being a brewer camp that you went yeah. to. Yeah. So th- it sounds like a, a great way to do it. So now uh Michael you just did a beer that's releasing uh released recently with uh, Commonwealth Brewing out of Virginia Beach, correct? It's actually coming out on Labor Day. Okay, depending All right. on when this is being aired. Yeah. <laughs> so and you want to tell Labor us? Day weekend. You want to tell us a little bit about that? The actually, it's a pair of beers, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it was the same base beer. Um, so we, I I, um, I got an email from uh, from Jeremy and uh, Greg right when they were opening, and uh, they invited me down to you know come up with a recipe with them. Um, and so we came up with a, an ode brune that. Uh, you know, sort of didn't, didn't stray too far from the sort of you know tradition of 
a really malty base with, with a little bit of roast and a little bit of Munich and a little bit of dark crystal. And um, from there it went, you know, sort of primary fermentation and then went into a bunch of red wine barrels with some fun cultures. Uh, a few of them got a, a house saison culture that I'd been pitching and repitching uh, in my home brewing for the last few years. And, um, yeah, from, from there it just sort of aged until it got sour enough and then into fooders and on to – uh, one of them is dates and cherries, and the other is figs and blackberries, I believe. Unless nice. I, unless I have those backwards. Um, but it was just a, a really fun idea. I, I really like with those darker sour beers to have some darker, richer fruits. Um, you know, we, we did some fun beers in modern times where we did, like, nectarines or um, peaches in, in some darker sours. And those can be really fun, but those sort of more delicate fruits are a little bit tricky to um, – I get, get the, the sort of the full effect of them. I, yeah. I tend to think they work better in pale sours where there isn't a whole bunch of malt and other stuff to fight sure. through. Yeah. Um, versus those dried fruits and those those red berries that really have big, bold, interesting flavors that, that I think often can overwhelm a delicate beer. I, I I enjoy a good creek or framboise from time to time, but so often it just sort of ends up tasting like cherry or raspberry juice, and the whole base beer gets kind of blown out by it. Um, but with those dark base beers, you sort of have something to stand up to the fruit. And you're listening to Project BGR. Time to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Michael Tonsmeyer, a.k.a. the Mad Fermentationist, right after this. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys. Or you can go to BeerGuysRadio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support, and cheers. Welcome back to Project BGR. Let's listen to the rest of our interview with Michael Tonsmeyer, author of American Sour Beers. Uh, Michael, have you ever just thought about just straight up starting your own brewery? Um, I, you know, who has it? What right, that's, sure, that's, that's true. That's kind of yeah. what I figured. Um, so the, the, the trick is I, I'm an economist, uh, and I am a relatively risk-averse person. It, it takes some guts to say I'm sure. going to quit my job. But, you know, I, 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 won't, I won't say that I love my job or you know, that I wake up every morning excited to go in, but I never wake up dreading going in. Right, yeah. Um, and for the time being, I, what I tell people is that I want to be a professional home brewer. Okay. I'm not really clear what that means. It's, it's at the moment some combination of, you know, there's some writing and there's some consulting. Um, I've certainly kicked around ideas with a, with a few friends of the sort of um, the rare barrel model or the uh, mystic brewing model right. or the Casey brewing model. The having someone else produce the work and then doing, you know, barrel storage and fermentation, you know, what, what Crooked Stave started out doing. Um, and that model is appealing to me, but it's it's also um, not something I feel this strong desire to do, or or haven't felt that strong desire to do, at the cost of other things. Well, yes. you've got a pretty good um, setup there. I mean, you're doing, like I said, you do your blog, you do your writing, you know, your your book collaborations and consultations. 
yeah. you get to keep your day job and actually make a livable wage. So, yeah. you know, it's... And, a, and so if, if I were to ever start something, it would probably be... I mean, what, what I really advocate to people is that there's no reason... If you want to be an artist, there's no reason that you can't have a real job and, and make some actual money and do art on nights and weekends. And, you know, sure. you, you don't need 90 hours a week to do most things. Um, and for, for brewing... I may end up in, in some sort of position that I can sort of slowly transition into that and see how it goes and figure that out before yeah. having to quit the job and, you know, sort of jump ship. Well, I have, uh, my in-laws are both economists, uh, prof- econ- uh, professors of econ, so I understand, uh, you know, making sure you get that risk-averse strategy going on. So Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, we're, so, we're talking to uh, Michael Ta- Tonsmeyer, uh, the mad yeah. fermentationist. And again, we're going to get into some sour beers. Sour beers. You are so excited about this, I Tim. am excited about this. Yeah. So, so to tell you my background, Michael, in sure. sour beers, that's my buddy Brian and I, That's uh, he's here with us in the studio, and uh, we brew, uh, we've done some, some simple sours. We've done a couple of... Uh, you know, lacto sours, usually Omega Blend, Berliner's Gozes. We accidentally did a uh, a long term uh, chocolate porter sour that was totally <laughs> unintentional. So that's been it. So that's kind of totally undrinkable. Kinda, as it yes, turns it out. was totally undrinkable. It's a it hurts so bad to turn a five gallon carboy over into the drain, but oh, uh, I've done that one but I had too. to do it, man. So, but uh, you know, I've got your book. I've uh, actually read about a quarter of it. I use it as a reference guide a lot. You know, when I'm when I'm looking at the topic, I'll, I'll pick the book up and look through it and go into that so uh you know talking about sour beers and this you know kind of what uh what led you into deciding that to write a book because as far as i know you're the first one to author one on the american style of sour beers correct yeah no it's, it's, it's certainly as far as i'm aware i mean really the only book uh focused on sours before mine was wild brews by jeff sparrows um it, was, it really it was kind of an accident. It's, it's the way I do most things. Uh, my friend Nathan Zender, who is now the head brewer at Right Proper Brewing here in Washington, D.C., he does a whole bunch. He's got like three fooders and does a whole bunch of weird quick sours and some longer age stuff. Um, for a while, he was, he was uh, pestering me that we should write a book together. So we had a very short-lived podcast called um, Brew Local where we would interview local brewers. And we were both kind of, you know, spring and we kind of figured out that audio editing was not sort of the thing for us. And, and he sort of pitched the idea of doing some sort of book, maybe not about sour beers, but touching on sours, touching on um, indigenous beers, touching on sort of weird beers with foraged ingredients. Um, and as we went back and forth on sort of what our visions for the book were, his was much more a vision of a really high-end um, coffee table book, you know, lushly photographed, oh, gotcha. illustrated, yeah. and a lot of travel, and, and more on um, telling the stories of the breweries, and so, you know, that, that kind of thing. That sounds so pretentious. Uh, a lot Michael. of gauzy photos, you You've know. You've given me a great idea yeah. for a book. That's right. right. The coffee table book. Exactly. But for me, it was I was at that stage where really what I wanted was to talk to brewers and learn their secrets. That's I've mm-hmm. always, I, I'm much less interested in, in why people brew and what you know what kind of architecture inspired this beer and more in what kind of yeast they use and what the fermentation temperature was and why they chose red rhubarb instead green rhubarb or what, whatever it is. Um, and so I just sort of started pecking away and, and doing a syllabus, a, a, a table of contents and flushing out some chapters and um, what had originally started is just sort of like, hey, let me give my opinion. Um, I talked to a few breweries and was blown away by 
the generosity with their time and their information that people like Lauren Salazar from New Belgium and Tyler King lives at the brewery and Will Myers from um, Cambridge. And, and I, I all of a sudden sat down and I had like 100,000 words and, and just went, man, I, I can't self-publish this. This would be a crime. Um, so I sent an email to Christy Switzer at Brewers Publications mm-hmm. and she kind of went, aha, my 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 prayers have been answered. I've been trying to get someone to write a book about American sour beers for like five years, and she kept being turned down. There 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 are a lot of great brewers who would say, you know, well, you know, we're still figuring things out, or well, it's not, you know, there's still there's still so much research that needs to be done. Um, and at a certain point, you just have to pull the trigger and write something. And if you wait until beer has finished being beer, you're you're not going to ever write anything. I mean, yeah. if, if Mitch Steele had waited on you know, New England IPAs and whatever before he'd written his IPA book, he'd still be waiting. You know, right. There's always something changing. and There's always a new discovery. There's always a new brewery. There's always a change of opinion. Um, so really, it's a snapshot. And, and whether in another five or six years, we, we work on a, a revised vision, a, a revised edition, or whether someone else comes out with a with a terrific you know modern sour whatever that's that's to be seen would you say that your methods changed much after you completed the research for the book um i i don't think my methods have changed much although i've certainly gotten like a wider span of methods i've certainly been doing more of the the quick sours than i did you know more of the the kettle souring or sour wording or whatever you want to call it um, I, I have actually uh, an experiment going on in the basement this this weekend. I brewed like ten gallons of wort. Five of it's going to be like a like a Schwarz beer, Bach something, um, and the rest of it I split three different ways. I left one at the the original pH five point one. I add lactic acid to another third of it to get down to like three and a half, so like mildly tart. You know what you'd expect out of sort of a you know, a standard Berliner Weiss or something mm-hmm. like that, and the other down to three, which is really, really, really sour. And that's like the sourest beers tend to be, you know, 299 gotcha. or 301, something like that. Now, and now I'm fermenting each of those with three different yeast strains, three different um, sack strains, uh, Cal Ale, uh, Dry English, and uh, Belgian Saison too, just to see how those three strains handle that, that stress of that acidity. Saison um, too, that's the 566, right? Hey, that's precisely. Five, that's six, the one. Six, that's my. We'll call it house strain. I brew a lot of saisons, and and I love the five six six. Yeah, no, and that's, it was actually suggested to me by uh, Kara Taylor at White Labs as a potentially um, acid tolerant um, yeah. strain. So I'm I'm really interested to see. I mean, that's and to me that's that's why I homebrew is to learn stuff. Um, I'm not sure. a homebrewer who rebrews something multiple times. I, I think there's a real value in focusing on something and, and doing variations and making subtle adjustments and all that. But I'm not the sort of person who has a house pale ale that, oh, it's, it's about to run out. I'm going to brew another batch of exactly the same. Well, that's thing. kind of the it's catch 22 with the kind of the, the, the difficult part with home brewing is you brew something and you love it. And you want it, you're like, oh, I'd love to have that again. Yeah. But I'd also like to brew all these other beers yeah. that aren't this beer. You know, yeah. so it's uh, you know, question on on the sour beers, uh, kind of the semantics of things. Something I've ran into a lot talking to people out at bars and, and and you know pubs and at the breweries and that. Right now, sour sour beers is kind of a blanket term, and it, yeah. it, when someone says sour beer, they're 
they could be talking about a burner, a Berlin or a Lambic, a Goza, you know, so there's many a lot things. Of, there's a lot of sours out there, yeah. And it's just, it's a term that I, you know, several people have mentioned to me, we need to break that down more in our American vocabulary like we have L's and lagers. That sour beers is just way too much of a blanket term like an L or a lager to use it to cover so many things. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. I, I actually, I just submitted a, a story to Brewer Magazine, and I, I set the scene for the sort of, you know, where we are now with sour beer and Britannomyces by talking about an email that went around, uh, I think this was probably four years ago now, that Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave sort of sent this blast email to, to probably 25 or 30 of us, people at the time who were influential beer writers or sour beer brewers, and he was actually trying to go the opposite way. He wanted a single word that would encompass all of these, whether they were sour or whether it was a bread IPA or whether it was um, you know, a kettle sour or whether it was a land, you know, one word for all of those things that could serve as a um, complement to ale, lager, and other. Um, and we really, there, there was no consensus. There really wasn't any single great term. Um, yeah. Sour yeah. for a lot of people is not an appealing word. You know, when you hear sour, a lot of people who aren't beer nerds hear sour milk. They hear, you know, yeah, their nose kind of turns up a little bit. They're like, yeah. Ugh, who wants to drink that? Yeah. Um, and so, I, and the, but the problem is that there's no real other term. Um, it is with American sours right now. It's there isn't. Um, their styles really haven't emerged yet. Um, there are the Florida vices down at uh, Jay Wakefield and Cigar City and. Pegs are dealing with these, you know, lightly, lightly tart and then boatloads of fruit in them and, and particularly interesting fruits. They're the sort of the real American wild, you know, the, the um, true spontaneous fermentations that um, Allagash is doing in Russian River and DeGard. But otherwise, there are so many that, you know, people are doing what Americans always do, you know, making things bigger and weirder and not brewing the same thing twice so you, you sort of can't peg it down as one particular thing, and that's that's kind of the trick at the moment, that I, I think people are just sort of using more um, descriptive language to describe that one beer that they're producing and less trying to, you know, carve out big categories that um, may or may not fit precisely. Sure, yeah. So, so what about uh, the idea of using just wild as a style? Because th- that does not necessarily imply sourness, but it implies something a little bit crazier than your regular... Ells, waters, and yes. wild. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a whole new thing, and and I've had stuff that's been described as a sour. It's, it's not sour at all, and it's yeah. it was never intended to be sour. Like it's, Brett's. Yes, it's like it's wild. Yeah. It it might even be sweet, but it's just different. It's and wild. And I that, think covers that a little bit better than than sour. I'm surprised that that doesn't get maybe more use as a kind of a a blanket term. Wild was actually the the uh, term that Chad was hoping to to uh, get a degree on. The, the main complaint about wild is that if you're using Britannomyces, that you got to have a tube from White Labs that was isolated in 1956. <laughs> yeah, is that's that true. Really Not very wild. wild. Is so that, wild. You know, it, it, and, and those are the kind of, you know, the, 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 there are those people who feel very strongly that wild means you didn't pitch anything. It, it really has influenced by actual literal wild microbes that, you know, the, the top was open of your barrel or your fermenter or your cool ship and you let the air come in and there are microbes in there that you did not purchase from a lab that you did not um, get from a house culture that are you know truly wild um and that's you know the the sort of thing that there's always going to be fights over i mean there's 
there's still fights over what Lambic is. Even in Belgium, there's fights over what Lambic is. So Lambic is a less protected term than Kolsch. And uh, Americans are very respectful not to use Lambic. But in the same way, in, in Europe, all you have to Lambic essentially just means that it's like between 30 and 40 percent wheat, and some of it is spontaneously fermented. Yeah, I suggested um, to a brewery here that they should, they asked, what style should we brew next? And I was like, you should do an American Lambic. And they're like, oh, we can't. You know that's not possible. I was like, "Well, you you know what I mean." So, the, but no, they were the guard would argue otherwise. Right? Yeah, where they've looked at like the Algash Kosher beers, and they yeah. find very similar micro progressions to Belgium. Um, it really it comes down to brewing work and treating it, and having you know the same you know the cooling rates in the in the the cool ship, and having uh, similar hopping rates, and having I um, you know, all all these sort of little minutia, having the right dextrin ratio. And you end up, you know, sort of the wild microbes are everywhere. Um, Stan Hieronymus was just uh, at an event with me in Asheville a couple of weeks ago, and he had this great, this great quote that essentially was, "Everything is everywhere." That all these wild microbes are all over the place. There, yeah. there really is no magic in the Seine Valley. To me, the magic is really in those barrels at the land. They're in the tanks. They're in the walls. Um, that by reusing the the same barrels and by you know seeding new barrels with beer they really like it's it's almost like seed saving that they are doing a, a genetic sampling but without any you know it's, it's not gmo or anything like that but it's you know by process they are selecting the right microbes to to produce the the lambic that they enjoy that's yeah it's good it's it's good stuff too that's like and i think a lot of those just fall under like american wild ales like you were saying brian yeah. you know using that wild term but uh yeah, well, uh, Mike, we're just about out of time here, man. So we appreciate you speaking know, with us. It's uh, some great information. You know, we'd like to definitely speak to you again in the future if you're available. And uh, we appreciate you taking some time to talk with us tonight. Yeah, let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to. This is a lot of fun. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, the, uh, the website, uh, themadfermentationist.com. And then uh, there's a contact me link, and it's uh, madfermentationist at gmail.com or mad fermentation on twitter or i have a facebook page or i i show up at a lot of uh, events i'm going to be in new zealand in in you know march or something like that so if if you don't come to me i'll come to you eventually i guess you're going to be at jbf this year probably not okay um, sadly what with the the real full-time job i i can't get away gotcha. from a darn sure. full-time job it yes. gets you every time yeah, I, I loved it. I went maybe three or four years in a row, and then, then the last couple I have not made it. But I, I will return eventually. Awesome. Well, Michael uh, Tonsmeyer, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to Project BGR, and of course, special thanks to Michael Tonsmeyer for taking the time out to talk to us. You can find his blog at themadfermentationist.com. Remember, Project BGR is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps us. Yeah, by the way, we also do a show, Beer Guys Radio, every Saturday, and it's got all the news you need to know about the craft beer movement in the Southeast. We podcast that, too. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beer Guys Radio. Cheers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.